Hey everyone, Fraser here. So today's interview is with Chris Prophet. He is the author of a book called SpaceX from the ground up. I interviewed Chris a couple of years ago uh, and he's gone on and written, I think he's on his sixth edition now of his books. He's been keeping up to date and we just like, just talked about the latest SpaceX news. We didn't really talk too much about the, the past and the future, just like all the things that were going on right now at the time that I'm recording this with the, the explosion of Starship, the other missions that are in the works. And uh, it was good. It was wide ranging conversation, very detailed, very in the weeds. So if you want to hear kind of the nitty gritty about SpaceX, I think you will enjoy this. And, and it was great talking to Chris, and I'm sure I'll have him back on again, as there are more major advancements in the SpaceX story. All right, enjoy. Why isn't it easy? <laughs> we know why. Okay, we should be live, but the preview is showing me like it's just like the top part of my head. Oh, um, that's why that's why I'm like I'm wondering if people can confirm that that the that... I can see you. I can no, see I know you, you can see me. You can see me, but I'm wondering if if it looks okay to the audience or it looks strange to the audience. I'm going to need them to give me some kind of uh, confirmation that it looks fine because the YouTube preview window is clearly messed up <laughs> um so people will have to let me know uh it's like it's like this weird little just like the top of my head is is in the preview window like it's grabbing like one little corner like so, you're looking through okay. a letterbox right. <laughs> okay uh everyone's seeing the entire looks good to me okay okay people are telling me that it looks fine because because <laughs> if and, and people can see us on the screen because because if what i'm seeing in the preview window is what's being exported out to youtube it is not a good show. So, um, uh, hey, Chris, how's it going? Oh, fine, fine. Uh, nice to chat with you again. I get get an invite. It's always nice to uh, talk yeah. about uh, things. With it's you. good timing. It's good timing. Yeah. So, so this is Chris Prophet, and you wrote SpaceX from the ground. Do you have a copy of your book, Handy? Well, I, I have the first edition. There's my bona fides. <laughs> <laughs> the first edition. Hold on. Hold on. Let me, let me get you all in the screen. Hold it up again. Okay. Yeah. There uh, we go. Okay. Yeah, look how thin that is. Look how thin it is. That's that's eighty-seven pages. That's the first edition. That is compared to I think two seventy-three. I'm up to now. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. So so we last talked. I checked. It was twenty seventeen. So it's been like four years, three four years mm. since we last talked. Twenty eighteen. Anyway, it's been about three years since we last talked about yeah. about SpaceX, and we've gone from your first edition to your sixth edition now. Yeah, I'm actually working on my seventh. Of course, that's you are. All hush hush at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like what a big secret. SpaceX is going to do new things, and you're going to have to update. Oh. oh have God. you ever heard of a blog? Have you ever heard of like uh, writing on the internet? I'm just saying. Well, I, ha I, I have, I have, I have considered it, but I, I, I'm really even more cutting edge than that. I mean, normally, if you want to find me, I'm on the uh, SpaceX Reddit because we're always working through yeah. things there. I write stuff, put it up. I do posts regular there, and uh, yep. well, it, it, it seems to get to a bigger audience, I think, it, than it, trying to drag into mine. It's funny from like when we talked and sort of the work that you had done on the SpaceX Reddit mm. uh, group subreddit. I added that to my list of regular places I go and look for news tips, mm. and it's been a wellspring. It's been great. There's yeah, been tons awesome. and tons of 
really good, uh, interesting ideas, new improvements that are happening in this basics landscape that we've been able to incorporate into stories that, that we're working on. So yep. it's an interesting um, forum. <laughs> sort of, it's interesting, like, like it's really sort of crossed in line. Like, what is media? What is community? What is conversation? Mm. What is wild speculation? So mm. I think it's kind mm. of, uh, it's very impressive what's, what's going on there. So for people who don't know who you are, who are you? What do you do? Well, I'm a writer. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, I haven't been able to do much else during the last year. It's been a bit crap as regards work, but, uh, yeah. you know, uh, it has given me more time to write. So well, here I am. I know the feeling. Yeah. For those of us yeah. who were already spending a lot of time inside in front of a computer, um, mm. yeah, we've been able to make the best of a horrible situation. Yeah, I do uh, creative writing. I help other people with their writing as well, yeah. uh, normally, and uh, oh, various bits and bods around education. And of course, what we're going to talk about is, you know, sort of a big chunk of your life is writing this book, uh, SpaceX uh, from the ground up. And <laughs> so I guess maybe give us an update. I mean, I think, you know, Last time we talked, I was on the Weekly Space Hangout a couple of years ago, just to sort of catch people up to speed. We talked about sort of where the idea of SpaceX came, what the ideas were, um, what kinds of new things they were working on, what a lot of the overall design philosophies were. I think now SpaceX has become a household name. It's really gone next level. Um, yeah, it was trending this morning. I saw some of their videos. Yeah, well, they right launched a bunch there. of Starlinks yeah. like last night. Mm. Um, so what what do you think has changed about SpaceX from uh, like in the last couple of years? Well, I, I can only put it down to realistically uh, big stuff. They've really hit the, uh, uh, the big targets like uh, Falcon Heavy. That was very uh, highly uh, followed, that launch, you know, and they had some great uh, soundtrack for that. Uh, that sort of dragged people in initially. But then, of course, uh, the U.S. has lacked capability to get to the their own space station for uh, since uh, 2012. And they've able to restore that uh, in assistance with NASA, of course. And uh, I mean, that is major. I mean people are interested in people. That's what I say to my creative writing class. So you can launch a thousand satellites, but you launch one man and, and people go, ah, right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, uh, that's interesting. Because everything's on the line, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, but of course, now we're on to the real uh, big leagues, which is Starship. Right. <laughs> so yes. do you, so, I mean, like, do you think that, that, like the reusability was critical. And I think that for a lot of people, we saw reusability as the destination, the reusability of the Falcon 9. But it's not, is it? It never has been. Yeah. It's, it's just a, a stepping stone on the way. It's just, it's just the, the, the last big thing they did before Starship, basically. Um, it's an essential technology. I mean, Elon said it uh, countless times. I mean, it's the only form of transport where you toss it in the ocean when you've done one when when you've done half a launch. 
<laughs> it's just it's ridiculous it's it's one of these things where uh, national security providers think well it's we'll make more money if we throw it away every time so that's what we'll do and there was no change and elon came along and went what <laughs> no you're not going to get it yeah. you want to get anywhere and you've got to you know you've got to really uh, savor this technology and, uh, and 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 make most use of it i mean that's 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 the plan for Mars. You take off, you put it in orbit. You, you're a completely empty spacecraft, but you've got a massive spacecraft in orbit. Then you refill it, it goes to Mars. It takes a big payload there, and then you refill it on Mars, bring it back, all using the same engines, all the same hardware. You know, it's sort of it's one of those. Oh, why, do, why didn't we think of that? <laughs> sort of moments. Well, they did. I mean, it's it's funny. I- I love to look through old NASA design documents and you look Mm. back at the original space shuttle concept and it looked like two space shuttles sitting on top of each other. One big space shuttle that was the tank and then a smaller one that was going to be the orbiter and they would launch together uh, either horizontally off a runway or they would launch as a vertical stack make it make it to a certain point and then the 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 main vehicle would detach the the fuel tank would return to earth and land on a landing pad and then the orbiter would fly to space and then it would fly around so so i mean as soon as they figured out as soon as nasa and the others figured out stage rocketry they they were asking themselves the question how do we not throw these things in the garbage every time uh, but they yeah. never could come up with a with an answer with a way that was feasible and practical and, and did the trick. What did SpaceX figure out that at this point nobody else had been able to to figure out? What was the what was the key to the solution? Do you think? Well, I, I think it's uh, uh, simplification, basically uh, decomplexing the whole Deep. situation because you had so many different groups pulling uh, space shuttle in so many different directions um uh, it was rockwell i believe that built the actual shuttle I- itself well they built the they built the engines yeah uh, uh, the uh, the engines but the sh- the shuttle itself was made the same way you would normally make uh, a, an aircraft which was aluminium uh, and but because it was aluminium and, and you expose aluminium to heat it, it catches fire you had to enclose the whole thing in tiles every single thing had to be enclosed in tiles so uh, you, you're just putting enormous amount of complexity and weight on it and and then you got yeah. the u.s air force saying they want to lo- do long uh s's and corrections course corrections and so you've got the big wings bolted on and oh it all starts to get you know it, it's it's a classic uh design by committee really um we're, we're elon just says okay we need a we need something that will uh drop into the atmosphere um what what's best well this uh, austenitic uh, steel you know just s304 s 30 x as he's moving through that'll take most of the heat you only need like a a, a strip on the windward side just to take the the massive heat uh, from the uh from the in- initial sort of but, impact with the atmosphere but i mean my my reading of it is that it's computers that have made the that, that have unlocked the whole technology of of reusable <sighs> rockets landing at their you know vertically oh, yes. that you know oh, oh yeah it couldn't be it couldn't be done without be done. Uh, the high high computing but the actual uh re- re-entry and reusing that 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 uh 
the, the starship. Yeah, that, that could be done anytime. It was just a question of just looking at it from an engineer's point of view rather than a politician mm-hmm. or, or a militician or <laughs> NASA right. bureaucrat, you know, trying to do some, uh, what was the term? Uh, bureaumancy on it. <laughs> bureaumancy, I like that. But, but, I mean, really, when you look at all those technologies, I mean, it really is the the speed and density of the compute that is hmm. that is making all of the tiny little course corrections as the rocket is returning to oh, earth yeah. at at supersonic speeds to be able Hypersonic. to then yeah. yeah to be able to then just slow it down and land it vertically using mm. its using its yeah. its flaps and its rockets you know just the gimbling on the rockets to be able to actually make it land that is like you couldn't do it. it couldn't a human being couldn't make that maneuver happen but a computer can do it and it, we've only had computers capable of doing that kind of that kind of of operation just fairly recently you know there's like yeah, some artificial intelligence going on inside these things it's Lars Blackmore, basically he takes a stochastic approach to uh, uh, guiding reentry and landing uh, I mean basically the the rocket is descending. And then it says, all right, where am I now? Where should I be on my uh, approach? Um, what are the methods I can use to get back on approach uh, onto that correct trajectory? And then it, it works down the list of all of them and, and evaluates which one is the best one to to use. And then it selects that, then it, then it applies that. And it does that like a couple of thousand times every second, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's. I mean, it's, it keeps hitting the middle of the X, so it, it's obviously working. But luckily, they've still got Lars with them. He, he was one of the early guys, and he was with them right from, uh, uh, well, relatively early on. I think it was this last decade, and he's still with them, and he's in charge of Mars landings now. So I mean, you could tell you could tell from the Starship the way it comes in. I mean, the approach was absolutely perfect it was it was lovely it was just the uh, little engineering bit at the end <laughs> yeah so have you sort of been have you watched what happened with the the test mm. of starship it ha- you know we watched mm. it yesterday was that right watched it yesterday it. Yeah, yeah yeah what mm. uh what went wrong so you know just to catch me for, you know what you all know what happened what went wrong Okay, well, what went wrong is one of the engines failed to uh, start. It was it, it is a bum star basically. Uh, huh. Now, what caused that? Well, you've got you've got uh, a whole fault tree that they've assembled. I mean, I can give you some of the highlights. Uh, sure, yeah, the yeah. Let's branches. get right into the weeds. What went wrong uh, with that? With that okay. test? Uh, the uh, on the ascent, they usually show on, on a little sub panel the rocket engines firing and then they show them uh, cutting out one by one as they don't as they uh, need less thrust they started off showing it but then there was a little bit of a sign of an engine fire just a small engine fire uh, and then they stopped showing it so i think that was rather political because they they want to impress nasa at the moment for this human landing system um so they probably didn't want to show that that might have contributed contributed so you think that they knew there was a problem? There might have been a problem with the rocket, even on ascent. Oh well, there's always problems. It's right. just whether it's going to be <laughs> turning into a critical one. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was something that uh, they obviously didn't want to show people. Uh, but then it, it's 
it, it, it nosed over. That was fine. Yeah. It, the approach was fine. It was right on, on target. Uh, and then they should have ignited uh, two. They only ignited one. I can only presume they have fixed the problem, which they have with SN8, which was tank pressurization. They yes. had insufficient pressurization to push the fuel through to the... Uh, I mean, it's incredible that the engines, they require uh, six bar of propellant pressure uh, force. They re- they are really greedy engines. Mm-hmm. I mean, I believe it's like two bar for the uh, Falcon 9. So they really like that sh- fuel shoved in. So in any case, I believe they fixed that. But for some reason, they had a bad startup. It just refused to start up. And, and that was it. It was insufficient for us. Because they do. It's, it's, it's almost like a suicide burn where they where they just flip it round at the last moment yeah. to point to the ground and then maximum thrust with two inches to stop. But it, they didn't get that required thrust. It, it's, a, it's a problem they've got with the design a little bit because uh, the tanks are, are, are finite, the, the header tanks they use. They don't use the main tanks. They just have these inset header tanks. Right. And there's only so much fuel. So you've got to wait to the last moment to flip it around, do right. that hard burn and, and kill all that uh, momentum. But the... Yeah, we, we you know with with the previous one with SN8, the mm. engines working fine. It was that they couldn't get the, the you know you've got the main fuel tanks which were used for the yeah. ascent, and then you've got the secondary tank right at the very top that's used that's kept mm. at a nice pressure and it's ready to go because the fuel sloshes around inside the main the main oh, fuel yes. tanks, and so it can't it can't deliver can't dependably deliver the fuel when it's time for you know for the thing to mm. land and so they've got this secondary tank that's only job is to deliver that little puff of of fuel right at the moment that it needs to make its its descent burn and yeah. for whatever reason with sn8 they weren't able to get it pressurized they weren't able to get fuel out to the engines in time to make it work this time around the feeling is, is that the pressure was there because one of the engines yeah, went fine. nicely but they weren't able to get that se- that second engine lit and it wasn't able to mm. to provide the descent i mean it's i mean i'm sure it's it, it's weird these seem like like problems that could have been troubleshooted out mm. well they are pushing very hard for yeah these. i mean that they, they, they were really impatient to get this one done but they were waiting on, on F, faa and waiting and waiting and then finally they got their go ahead so they just went for it uh but the, these engines they test them they test them very hard in, mm-hmm. in fact uh, the earlier ones were tested to destruction basically so we don't know the uh history of this particular engine that failed but it might not have been the engine's fault it might have been a case that uh some of the pressurant actually got into the fuel line and then uh <coughs> <sorry. Yeah>. <coughs> and then caused the uh, engine to eat propellant yeah and uh, pressurant which is it really doesn't like yeah. it just needs cold fuel no uh, no gases in did, there did you just grab some water if you want i can i can answer some questions from the audience if you want to go grab a couple <laughs> glass of water no, i'm okay you're all right okay yeah okay. sure sure yeah i learned that they always have water uh, I, I went out for a run earlier on today. I'm still a bit cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I know that. Out. I know that feeling too, where you just like, you know, just gets everything working. Um, all right. So, so then, what is the status like as of today? What does mm. the what does the Starship fleet look like? 
Well, they've got loads of them. I, mean, I say there was actually two on the pad I when know, they launched I SN9. I mean, yeah. there's one queue. They've got a queue of them. Yeah. I, I, I SN10 mean, looking is... nervously over as SN9 yeah. detonates on the pad. Yeah. Starhopper's there on the side going, hi, oh, now I've done that twice. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, they've got a whole line of them. Uh, SN11 is right behind them. Uh, and we've got SN15. That's already started. That jump, uh, they've jumped to 15 because they were so happy with the first uh, high altitude flight, SN8. They, 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 they scrapped the ones in between the, piece that, the pieces they're working. But SN15 is supposed to be quite an advance. They've done quite a few changes to the huh. construction. So we, we're not quite sure some of the stuff they've done, but obviously it, it, it's major because they figured the inter, interim uh, intervening uh, ones are not going to be useful uh they just want to go on to this more advanced version which which is much closer to the orbital so, and we don't know this. what's going to be in it yet like we don't know what the advances <sighs> are what is the what's the rumor mill say well uh if it was me i'd be putting uh different uh wings on there because you, you've seen the uh the flap the flaps they use that the, the ones at the back are cla classically body flaps they class them as the ones at the front well i think they're better described as canards mm -hmm. um but so but they're a bit chunky and they're a bit uh, okay for the job whereas i think if they're going to be doing hypersonic entry in it they're going to want to have something a little bit more swept that's that's what i i believe if uh from what i can see of it so um, so you mean sort of like smaller like like much smaller Wings? Possibly swept, you know, like the uh, Concordia wings, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and the space shuttle. They had they had a more sort of swept. Yeah. Uh, whereas these are just like quite chunky uh, and functional, which is which is fine for the job they're doing at the moment, right, which is just right. dropping from about uh, you know uh, about ten k. <laughs> well, we were we were speculating a bit on this last night on the weekly space hangout, just how like why do they wait so long to do the flip why do they do the flip right at the last minute wouldn't it mm. wouldn't it make more sense to have a longer descent and and try to manage it but i wonder if those wings like they're fundamentally different from the grid fins that are on the the current falcon 9 boosters and what's going to be on the super heavy so i don't know whether the thing can whether the spacecraft can be vertical for any long period of time and be stable with those wings in the configuration oh it can be at. stable but the whole time it's like vertical like that you're accelerating towards the ground i mean it, it's got quite a it, it is quite fast even when it's doing its uh a, a skydiver but as soon as you put it vertical well then you're going to start picking up uh, mm -hmm. speed and all that speeds needs to be negated this is one of the problems they've got at the moment it's the uh, super tanker problem uh, turning a super tanker except for in this case you're not turning it you're stopping it and you've got the force of gravity pulling it down so you know you've got a large mass heading towards the ground being pulled towards the ground all of a sudden you've got to stop it on a dime pretty much so right. they want to they want to flip it and 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 just stop it straight away before it starts accelerating towards the ground any, any more than it is so and of course the, the the closer you can do to the ground the more fuel you save because right. you don't want to be carrying around and every every uh, extra ton of fuel you have for landing is one less ton of fuel you have for payload so uh, they're being very aggressive I, i'm you know you have to applaud their effort there yeah is it, yeah. But it but is it almost too aggressive like it it does seem i mean you know here we are armchair rocket scientists um mm. Uh, but it does feel like there's a lot of kinks to work out in the system, and the the Falcon Nine has 
minutes to make sure all of its engines are are working properly. It's able to light them and and when it does mm. its descent and do its it's hyper slam, right? Uh, oh, oh no, uh, hover slam. Hover slam. They, hover slam. Yeah. They yeah. class it as hover slam, not a suicide burn. It's called a hover slam because that yeah. sounds that's much better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the trick with the hover slam, like I know with the Falcon Nine, the way those Merlin engines work, it it can't hover the rocket. It can't. It you know they're too powerful. So you're either mm. going up or you're falling. And so the trick with the with the the Merlins is that they have to run those engines at the last second so that they perfectly balance out their falling with being on the ground. Um, but I know with the, with the Raptors, they can tweak the thrust. They can throttle them down. They could, they could make, as we saw with the, uh, with the hopper and with the grain silo, I mean, that thing could hover on a couple of its Raptor engines, one Raptor engine if it wanted to, but it's it's guzzling fuel the whole time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's quite beautiful the way that the Falcon 9 achieves it because it, it gets to a certain altitude and it says, okay, I can I can apply a certain amount of deceleration uh, over a certain amount of time. So it's it, it hits that uh, uh, startup at the, at the correct altitude and that the whole time from, from that point onwards is steadily decelerating until it achieves zero velocity at zero altitude even though it's got more thrust uh, than it actually needs to to hover uh, but the raptor it it, it it's uh, can i think it can throttle down to about 20% it's it's like ridiculously flexible uh, so they can do whatever they like with it but i i did notice that on the uh, twitter today that elon musk was saying yeah uh, what we should have done is really ignited all three Stop, stop the craft pretty much uh, above the pad and then decided which ones we wanted to down select. If there was one that didn't yeah. start, obviously you go with the two that did. Or if you do have three start, you can go, okay, which one's, which one's uh, the prime engine? Which one's performing better than the other one? So, yeah, they are going at it very aggressively, but this is the, uh, the, the fail early and uh, and learn from experience mm -hmm. if this has happened over mars if they'd have said oh right well we've had great <laughs> yeah. time chances oh every time we've landed both of our engines are fired up and, and all and 200 that's... colonists have died yeah <laughs> yes exactly whereas now they go ah well we actually have three engines and the reason why we didn't use them is we didn't have it in the software to have three engines available we we chose engine one and engine two yeah. and that was it do or die but now now they know yeah, uh, yeah. you know Fail, fail fast, fail, fail forward. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that, I mean, I think they've got enough momentum. They've got enough credibility. Like back in the early days, I know that Musk is always fond of saying that if that if Falcon had failed one more time, his whole business would have gone under. The SpaceX would mm. have just disappeared. But now, I mean, he could smash starships into the into Boca Chica for, for months and nobody's going to have a problem with it. Well, um, except for the FAA. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. The FAA might start taking might start taking some some concerns with it. But the point being, like from a just from a financial standpoint, from a from a momentum standpoint, we under we understand that 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 this is complicated. It's going to require iterations. It's going to take testing and so on. So let's let's assume that SN10 works fine. That we see some new improvements. We see a nice safe landing. SN10 SN10 gets to gets to retire healthy as a as a as a one continuous piece of metal um as opposed to a rapid uh, disassembly what comes next 
Okay, well, what comes next is what's in the big hangar, the high bay, and that's the uh, super heavy booster. Uh, the it's it's not the orbital booster. It's just got, uh, I believe, four uh, engine mounts on it. So they they've got a they'll probably put it on one of those test stands, uh, A or B, and and see how how far they can get up in the sky with it and see if they can land it again. So it's the same process basically, but they're using grid things. But they're a lot more confident with uh, Super Heavy than they were. It's, with it's a big Swats. Falcon Nine first stage. Exactly. They, yeah. They've got they've got that down. Well, let's hope they're not too overconfident about that. But as you say, uh, I mean, the only real uh, question mark uh, is whether they can get the the arm to reach out and grab it in midair and then support it and put it back on the pad, which is what they're planning on doing. And uh, I know to... that's sort of like the, a long term theoretical plan. Are they actually building yeah. any kind of infrastructure to support that? I know that they bought a couple of of uh, old oil platforms, Phobos and Deimos. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the orbital launch pad is underway. They are building it. There, I mean, they keep putting in uh, new lines for the propellant and uh, power, so it does seem to be underway. But as you say, they're they're working in parallel. They've got these two <laughs> oil rigs that they bought for a song, really, uh, from a company that was yeah. going insolvent. So, uh, and they're converting them. I, I think. To be honest, those oil rigs—they're mainly going to be using them for uh, for the crane, just to lift uh, lift lift it onto onto the launch right. platform. They're, that's probably going to be a separate floating like platform along adjacent to it, and they might also put the fuel on there with the crane. Well, that was my joke. Structure. That was that was Elon Musk's long game was to develop Tesla to reduce the world's need for oil, to reduce the price of oil <laughs> platforms, to be able to yeah. use them for his rocket business. Um, so you've got the, we've got the development of the super heavy going in tandem with mm. the tests of Starship. So, so what do you and and we think so Starship. Let's say they solve the problems. You know, if it's not SN10, then it's SN11. If it's not SN11, it's SN15. Um, what, and then the and then the super heavy. So when do you think we'll see our first super heavy flight? Well, uh, it's. It's advancing quite well, the construction. I mean, they're not just making prototypes. They have a whole production line here. I mean, this is how they can have multiple uh, flight articles on the pad at the same time, because they're just kicking them out. It's a regular production line, but that's the way Elon likes it. Every time they, uh, every time they make a new one, they iterate the design and improve it. And the faster the production, the, the faster you can apply the iteration. So uh, BN1, coming back to your qu question, BN1, as it's called, um, it could be it could be on the pad on March. Wow. Yeah, it, it, it could be there. I mean, start. I mean, they only need to uh, bolt on four engines, basically, and it's the same tank structures as the basic Starship, except for stretched. They put some batteries on the top, uh, I can't see any reason why it can't be there by March, and uh, but they'll be fiddling around with it for quite a bit, I think. So we might not see it, in, you know, until April, perhaps. But uh, I mean, it's easy enough to do just to take off with four engines and land. I mean, it, it, the, the the real question comes when you when you bolt on twenty eight engines, <laughs> which was like, and then and then see what happens, yeah. right? And I, I mean, I think the thrust structure is one of the things we had a little question mark over have, have we got this right because the weight's got to be right and the strength's got to be right and it's all got to be right right <laughs> well, yeah. and so when when do you think we're looking at an attempt at an orbital flight does that come well, quickly after 
Like, do you th give me give me a time frame? Do you think? I mean, they've got to get both of these stages working uh, independently. They've got to be absolutely spot on. So I, I don't see it. Uh, Elon says at the end of this year, that's what I put in my book because that's what Elon says. Right. So, I mean, we've got to, we've got to be optimistic. That's, that's a big job because he's still, well, I mean, on his good days, when, when we have, something good happens, he's still aiming for 2022 and 2024 for landings on Mars. But when, when they has bad days, when he's talking about, oh, it's going to be five years. So, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 let's, let's just stay around the, the turn date. of the year. You know, hmm? 2022, not going to happen. 2024 is his optimistic time frame. 2026, he now seems sort of the one that he's more yeah. realistically <laughs> targeting, which still seems like a fantasy dream to me. Like, if it's before the mid-2030s, I think it'll still be a, an incredible accomplishment. Um, do you? But, I mean, have any of the prototypes been, like, heat-shielded? Like, have, 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 have any of them got the heat-shield? Well, actually, SN10 uh, has a fairly large sort of swath of heat shield on it to test it. Uh, actually, SN9 had had some really? heat shield ties on. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure they found they they didn't continue adherence. <laughs> and they and they the and they didn't and they didn't help with the heat of the explosion. So no, no, yeah. <laughs> oh dear, but uh, uh, they're there. They're testing. As soon as they get one back that lands, they'll be able to see what the effect of that uh, airborne, uh, right? Uh, uh, you know, effects on it was. Yes, but we won't know really what's going to happen with with an actual orbital reentry because that still feels to me like the big unknown is. Like, it feels like every other piece of this makes sense. I think they'll figure out that that weird mm -hmm. flippy landing. They've obviously got the belly flop maneuver going. They've got the, the Raptor engines work like a charm. The thing can take off on its own or as part of, a, of the Super Heavy. The I, I don't think the Super Heavy is going to be that much of a technology challenge, although the scale might be an issue. Mm. But it's that orbital reentry, which is feels to me like the big... The big I, question I mean, it's mark. the same as the shuttle. That was that was the problem with the shuttle. That that orbital entry was the big big problem, and uh, I mean, hopefully now they've gone to like uh, Tough Rock, which is the same uh, tile as they use on the X thirty seven. You know, the Boeing Mini Shuttle. Yep. Um, that that's a lot tougher. It's a lot lighter, and they're backing it with silicon, so there's uh, less heat transfer. I mean, I say it's tough rock, but I'm sure the uh, SpaceX engineers are taking a look at it and go, oh, I think we can improve on that. That's exactly what they did with the Pika, which NASA gave them. They went from Pika to Pika X and like three iterations of that in real real quick time. So yeah, I I'm sure they're working on it, but it's, it's if they can get that heat shield down, that is... That is <laughs> <laughs> but even if the heat shield fails, it's not like the shuttle. If, if one tile comes off, then or, or, or you get a leading edge fail, then it's automatically destroyed. No, it, that that is quite strong, firm substrate of yeah. stainless Sol steel. Yeah, stainless steel idea. underneath. Yeah, that, so they you know they still got a chance. They need a, a, a uh, quite catastrophic failure uh, for the whole thing to fail. I mean, they'll get something back. It might be a bit bent and melted, but it, it should right. be good. <laughs> well, as you said, uh, aluminum ignites in a mm. way that stainless steel just doesn't just won't catch on fire in the in the same way. Um, yeah. So let's talk about that sort of that you know assuming they get that sorted um, and we see this thing taking off and returning. 
then we're starting to move into the actual practical applications. So how ready is the world? Because, you know, I mean, it's safe to say that this is going to decrease launch costs by a factor of 10, maybe a factor of 100. Like it's, it's hard to really wrap our minds around how the world changes when you've got a reusable launch system that is this inexpensive. Mm. What do you think happens next? Uh lots of things <laughs> i mean when you can get a launch down to five million which is what they're talking about i mean nasa's talking about launching louvoir on it uh, their big observatory uh, that's that's going to be a splendid thing i mean i'm certain that spacex are trying to uh, negotiate with nasa to put the uh, europa clipper on there hmm. um that what well, they'll probably offer the the falcon heavy and say look we have this launch vehicle we can yeah. definitely launch but if you want to go there in in one year instead of seven. <laughs> well, I don't think it can do it in one year, but it can definitely. Well, I, well I think oh, really? If you can put if you can put um, a kick stage on top of Starship, right, something uh, or oh, I, I don't know, uh, there's like uh, aces. Some, something something like that uh, with with a really good ISP. I mean, you're talking about 150 tons to a reference orbit, so it's quite a substantial uh, kick stage. Right. Then uh, maybe I'm exaggerating on a year, but yeah, yeah, you yeah. can get but there. The, quick. But the Aces was the original kick stage they were going to use on the Galileo. That was the one, um, mm. or was it Cassini? Galileo it was on Galileo it was the one they were going to use on Galileo and it was going to it was going to allow Galileo to make a direct straight shot from Earth to Jupiter and then yeah. with the launch of the of the Challenger they decided that it wasn't safe to put something like Aces <laughs> on Challenger and they switched to a, mm. a less risky Centaur upper stage and then they had to do all of those those orbital um, slingshots to be able to actually make mm. the journey out to Jupiter so yeah I mean a powerful like an Aces kick stage or some other kick stage on top would be would be game changing. I mean, I can even imagine like we get to a point where it's kind of like the expanse where you do a, yeah, where you do a burn <laughs> in one direction and then your rocket turns around and does a deceleration burn to get into orbit. And you and you're then you're starting to really knock down the time. And I don't think we know what, what a fully reu fully refueled starship in mm -hmm. orbit is capable of delivering to other worlds. I mean, Again. you have various op options. Uh, I yeah. mean, you could actually go for a, uh, a Raptor-derived uh, kick stage. They produced a, a prototype engine, which was only one meganewton thrust. The current one is like two meganewtons. So they could use something like that. Then, then they have Methlox fuel, the same as the actual uh, the second stage of Starship. They could, they could refuel the Starship in uh, low Earth orbit and have it on a very wide, uh, like uh, elliptical orbit and then kick out the kick stage. And then now you're talking about some serious, I mean, use, use an O-Birth effect, uh, even even if you can line it up right, uh, the moon and Earth, you could have like an O-Birth cannon and kick it past both of them. So yet there's all kinds of uh, clever stuff you can do uh, and they have all the options on the table, but they've got to convince NASA that it's all good. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, Starship, it's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I think that's, I mean, that's the one audience member who maybe does have a few concerns watching two of these things explode on the on landing pad. Like, they, mm. NASA will never let human beings onto this thing. Well, uh, you know, never say never. That's all I can say. Sure. Uh, I mean, 
what can I say about SLS? You know, uh, Frankenstein. Um, <laughs> yeah. Jo- uh, j- uh, make work. Oh, I don't know. Uh, it's a, but it's the space shuttle. It's the sp- it's if the space shuttle um, was was essentially reconfigured into a vertical way. So you just yeah, it, it, you've cut up a space shuttle yeah. and then uh, with a Frankenstein right. monster, you made a, a you made a, a, a moon. Moon. Like, Yeah, you reassembled yeah, the space so shuttle to be like a like an like a Saturn V. Job done. Mm. Everybody gets to keep their jobs. Yeah, yeah, but uh, the, it's overwhelming, really. I I, uh, I think uh, we we'll get to a tipping point where it's just obvious it has to go this one way. Um, uh, at the moment, uh, Starship is fine. For it was designed to go to Mars. It, it, it's it's great. It goes to low Earth orbit. It gets uh, topped up four to six times. Let's say six times because there might be propellant boil off or losses mm-hmm. during fuel transfer. And it goes to Mars, and then uh, it uses atmospheric uh, braking to stop, uh, get you know bleed off all that velocity, and then land. It's great. Uh, and but uh, that. That's that's fine as a system. That's what it's designed for. But now they've started talking about um, it's not just a, a Mars; it's also a Moon uh, vehicle. Now you think, well, hang on a moment. That the whole company mission is Mars, 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 and now they're also talking about the Moon. I mean, they said they didn't want to divert to the Moon, but all of a sudden that's on the menu. Yeah. So uh, it, it's a bit, it's a little bit odd. But I think uh, Elon, I think it's fair to say he's a long-term planner. He likes to sort of look. To problems in the future and solve them before he gets there. Uh, so I, I think basically the problem is, it, it, yes, you can have one vessel go to Mars and, and do seven launches. That's fine. You know, you've got 26 months. If if you have like an orbital uh, fuel depot, you can even take those six launches, the tanker flights up there, store the fuel, and it's all ready to go when you get your Mars window open. That's, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I think that Orbital refueling is something that has never happened in any yeah. significant way. It's been tested out a couple of times. There's you know yeah. some capability on the International Space Station to do some minor servicing, but but to truly, you know, it, it's when you think about how much propellant is required, how much fuel is required to go from from the surface of the Earth to yeah. orbit. You've got yeah. an empty tank every time, no matter what, no matter how well you've crafted your engine, you're almost out of fuel. Uh, the way I look at it, it you, you, you're spending a bucket of fuel to take a thimble to orbit. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so it, it, that is exactly that. You've put your finger on it. That's exactly the problem. I mean, those six flights uh, it, it's fine. Yeah, you can do it. But Elon says to make that uh, large settlement on Mars, you need a thousand. Uh, starships going to there so if you have a thousand starships you have that makes uh, six thousand tanker flights now yes you've got 26 months and you've got a great plethora of of orbital fuel depots but it starts to get complicated at that at that phase you know if you if you miss any, any of those tankers crash that means you're only going to be launching 600 starships and whatever you like that so um this is the problem I think he's addressing now. Uh, this is why the moon is now on the menu because uh, you can you can starship. It's not really ideal for the moon because you need like a similar amount of fuel to get there, like six tankers. Then you need six tankers to get it back, and assuming you've got a or orbital depot around the moon, so it's not it's not fantastic. But they're still going for it, uh, which seems a little bit odd, but. 
if they can take one of their starships, their propellant plant uh, starships, which uh, they want to put all of the uh, in situ resource uh, utilization equipment into one starship or, or all the plant that you need to convert uh, materials you find on Mars uh, into propellant. And of course, you've got the propellant tanks in the vehicle as well. So you just process the atmosphere, process the water and, and, and you store the propellant in the actual vehicle. So it's all one. It's one. It's one vehicle. If they can put one of those on the moon, if they can drop one of those into one of those uh, northern lunar craters, mm -hmm, which is mm -hmm. permanently shadowed, uh, assuming you've got, you can solve the energy problem. Let's say you have a nuclear reactor, or you run a superconducting line out to the rim of the, uh, I almost said rim of the volcano there, <laughs> the rim of the of the crater. Right, right, right. <laughs> so you, you keep volcano. your starship in the cold, and then you run your your solar panels out to the crater. Yeah, onto the rim of the crater yeah. because they have uh, peaks of eternal light there where because it's at the north, the sun is always shining. It's always illuminated, which is perfect. And you got yeah. and uh, superconducting cable, no problem at cryogenic temperatures. So you can do that. You can produce buckets of fuel in those craters with one, just with one craft. And then uh, and the good thing about it is if you can like uh, send, uh, if you want to send a tanker from the moon to uh, low earth orbit it's only like 2.7 uh, i believe uh, is the delta v uh, to get from the moon to earth orbit because basically you just go retrograde again against the direction the moon is orbiting the earth that that kills the orbital velocity and then you just drop towards yeah. the earth and when you get there you air a break and, and just pop up into orbit. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful uh, way of of delivering fuel to the orbit. Normally, it's like over ten uh, ten uh, kilometers per second delta v to get from Earth uh, surface to low Earth orbit. As you say, it's just it's a it's a bucket to get a thimble. But in in the Moon's case, you're spending like uh, a thimble to get a bucket into low Earth orbit. Yeah. It's 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 a beautiful solution. So instead of taking six tankers from earth you only need right one from the moon yeah right or and, i mean I even i even think about like not necessarily the moon like even just low earth like near earth asteroids like there are places well, that they're discovering there's probably a lot more volatiles and water in asteroids that are in the inner solar system i, I, than I, I, would, I would agree thought. with you there but but um we know on the moon there's been uh chemical vapor deposition all the volatiles have just piled up in these craters over eons you know it's there on the surface all you need is basically a bulldozer just to to fork it up and put it in uh, put it in the hopper whereas on asteroids you might have to like break them up and get because the whole surface of the asteroid is exposed to sunlight so any any volatiles are just going to go right basically. right but they're but they're finding yeah. that they're i mean this is what we're learning from hayabusa and from bennu is that it looks like they're it's actually quite a lot under the surface so, oh yeah there was yeah, yeah. yeah. and so but, but it, I mean, it's it's it's, it's so much at. easier though on the moon because the, it, it's at cryogenic temperatures in 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 the craters yeah. and 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 the, and the materials are on the surface you know it doesn't look it's right there it's in front of you it's like <laughs> there's gold right yeah. it doesn't get any easier than that basically from an engineering point of view i mean yes i agree nasa could point to the fact is oh there's a certain uh, comp uh amount of water in these rocks but what i like about the moon right uh, i mean a lot of people when you meet them on Reddit, they say, oh, no, it's impossible to produce methylox propellant on, on the moon because we know there's no carbon 
on the surface or so low it's 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 ridiculous but the nasa uh let's see it was uh, l l cross mission uh they dropped a, an impactor there on into the lunar craters and yes it kicked up a pile of water which is which is on uh, on the surface but it also showed there was carbon dioxide carbon monoxide and methane yeah all volatiles that have been accreted onto onto the surface so it's you know it doesn't get any better than that you you've you need very very little carbon to make uh methylox fuel because methylox fuel is well for a raptor it's three and a half times the amount of oxygen by mass as it is uh methane and methane is one carbon atom and four hydrogen atoms so you you know you're talking a quarter and then uh, three and a half times that in, in oxygen. So y- you don't need much much carbon. It, it all seems to work out quite well. Uh, I'd love to to take on some questions from the from the audience who are watching. Um, sure. Uh, so Arjone is asking, could Starship have anything to do with the Lunar Gateway? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the plan. Uh, they, they want to take the uh, lander they've got and take astronauts from the Gateway down to the surface, come back up to the gateway and maybe have it like a trailing uh, dump there, a fuel dump where they can refuel it and they just keep using it. So, I mean, it's it's a fantastic lander compared to, uh, compared to the alternatives. It has uh, dual airlocks, uh, as I understand it, and they both feed. Uh, so if one's uh, being used for ingress, the other one outgress, egress, and you have a common sort of dirty room because the moon is is, is a pretty dirty environment. All those uh, 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 all those ground up nanite crystals there. You really want to just keep them in one area, and so you have a decontamination area, a common suiting area, and uh, and it's large, it's big. You're not sort of crammed in there. You can have people coming and going at the same time, and you've got decks above it, decks and decks above it, where you can have all sorts of equipment. And I mean, uh, there could like. be as much internal volume in a starship as there will be on the Lunar Gateway. I mean, it's... It's uh, yeah, um, <laughs> they could launch the whole thing on a starship. Yeah, yes, yeah. Well, which like one that. is the space station, and which one is the is the delivering <laughs> people? Um, all right. Ben Ben Kalo asks: Is there any public data on the cost per starship test for SpaceX? Do we know how much these chunks of shredded um, stainless steel are costing? Well, all I can say is they have. Two mega products on the go at the moment, which is uh, Starlink and Starship, of course, and uh, they're just about to have their second round for uh, $2 billion, I believe, share issue, and it's hardly been six months since they've had the last one. So we're talking about burning through maybe $2 billion a year just on Starship. So uh, I think that, that's a lot of money. If you want, it, it, it all depends on the launch rate. If they how how much is it costing them? It's it's you, you, millions, <laughs> lots. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I mean, just in terms of like, do you think it's a hundred million dollars in wreckage? Is it five million dollars? Do you think how much do you think these these things cost? Well, Elon says he can do them for uh, five five million, basically. It's crazy. Uh, but yes, it is it is it is crazy. But they're yeah. producing them at a fast rate, and they, I say they're producing boosters and yeah. I mean, when you think sorts. about the the raw material, I mean, it is it is fuel tanks, it mm. is stainless steel, 
exoskeleton, and then it is f- very fancy rocket engines and computers and batteries. It's, it's the engines which are expensive. Yeah. I mean, the stainless steel, it's just like nothing it's by comparison. But, the, but those engines, the testing of it, the construction of them, uh, it, the development of them, it, it, that's, that's, it's, it's always the engines. That's always the most important part uh, during any development for, for rockets. That they're the they're the complex item. Everything else is built around the engine. Everything else is is sort of relatively cheap yeah. and easy. <laughs> and that and that's of course one of the greatest tragedies of the space launch system is that they're taking the most beautiful engines ever made, mm. the RS twenty fives, and smashing yeah. them into the atmosphere. It just breaks <sighs> my heart every time I have to hear about this. Yeah, the old ways, they, they've got to have disposable because that makes most money for them. So that's the way they're going to stick to right to the end. But disruption is coming. It <laughs> well, is coming. I, I don't think, <laughs> I mean, it's, it is a funny time, right, that we are sort of at this point where where the future doesn't exist yet, but it's clearly coming in some form. Mm. And and so what bet does NASA make in saying, you know, do, do you launch humans on the Falcon Heavy? Probably. Do you mm-hmm. launch humans on the on the on the Falcon Nine on the Crew Dragon and then dock on some bigger spacecraft that's been launched by a Falcon Heavy? I think that makes the most sense. And then and then if Starship later on is able to deliver a bigger, you know, a more interesting lunar ferry boat to space, mm-hmm. and then the astronauts launch on Falcon on Crew Dragon and then transfer to the to the ferry boat in space. Like I think. Using some combination of a very proven, very safe launcher-like Crew Dragon on top of Falcon matched with just the raw launch capacity of either the Falcon Heavy or Starship makes a ton Mm. of sense. Even Mm. if you're disposing of Starships, which would be heartbreaking to think about, you've still got the first stage Super Heavy and then that second stage launching an enormous payload into orbit. So, I mean, I agree with you. It, you hedge your bets. Yeah. You don't just put put it all on one or all on the other. Yeah. I mean, they've got SLS at the moment, which they're pushing forward with, and Orion, yeah. and that will get people to space eventually if they just keep plugging away. Yeah, and and then you've got Starship, which just delivers enormous uh, cargo uh, capacity for the moon and fantastic. It's you're basically landing a. Uh, a a tower block on the moon, right, for accommodation and facilities. And when they when when they arrive, they've just got everything they need. So yeah, it, it's it, it's good what they're, they're doing it the right way. They're, they're hedging their bets. Yeah. Some on SLS, some on Starship, but they say they want Starship for later on because they want to have a a sustained presence on the moon. They want to have a proper base. So having yeah. having something which is reusable and could deliver substantial cargo, yeah. you know, 100 tons to the moon, more perhaps if they have yeah. uh, orbital depots, then that's that's what to do. They yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a tricky time. You know, people say like, oh, why, like, why bother working on SLS at all? And I, I kind of agree with that um, because you do have, not because you have Starship, because, you know, like we could just go watch blooper reels of Starships exploding and go, that's not ready. Um, but you do have Falcon Heavies and you do have Falcon 9s. Well, uh, tell Elon because he says it's all going to be cut as soon as Starship flies. Oh, for that's sure. It. For sure. Of course he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's, he's living, um, t- you know, 20 years into our future. Um, yeah. Tell us Mars is saying, what about Blue Origin in this disruption? When do you see Blue Origin from the ground up? Well, we might actually see uh, a pickup in pace because I understand that uh, Jeff Bezos has. Of, of uh, 
Amazon. Yeah, so. yeah. Bezos is stepping down from Amazon. Mm. Do you think? Because that's his dream too. It's so funny. You you hear about the backgrounds of Elon Musk and, and Jeff Bezos, and they are both just absolute space nerds. Mm. That's their re, their true passion is is you know O'Neill cylinders and Mars colonies and and mm. you know heading off to other star systems. So I wonder if Jeff Bezos is just going to double down on on Blue Origin at this point. It could well do. That's that's what suggests to me because i mean elon just puts in insane amount of hours for for spacex i mean he has the tesla design studio on the same campus at hawthorne so you're just doing do as many hours as needed at spacex and just toddle across the the road to <laughs> to tesla and say yeah i like the look of that i don't like the look of that go go yeah. ahead and now let's go to the boring company yeah yeah yes and that's in the car park outside yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah it, it, it's all it's all really easy for him but jeff just doesn't put in that same amount of time well not un up until this point which yeah. is possibly what's what's needed they that need would be amazing ramrod it because uh, to do space development to do to, to push any technology it's do or don't do right you've got to say right i'm committing to this yeah i mean there's there was a one uh woman engineer who works at spacex and she says oh well we were working really late at night you know into the early early hours uh just working out design problems sorting it out you know this isn't a nine to five job if you want to push technology you've got to really commit it's got to be your passion and you're going to want to do that so hopefully this is what we've seen mm -hmm, with jeff mm -hmm. he is passionate about it and now he's going to get stuck in yeah All it right. is interesting that that i mean both started working on this in the around the same time and mm. i'm you know jeff bezos went and made like the world's largest company and became the world's richest person um, but I'm well, sure well, he was, he was, yeah, yes. yeah, but I'm sure so that's, that's not, you know, it's not like he's a failure, but I'm <laughs> sure part of him is like looking at what's at just the really aggressive, really successful pace of SpaceX and saying that could have been us, that we, mm. that we could have, um, put in the same amount of energy and taken the same kinds of risks and gotten a little further along than we, than we did. So, mm. so, but, but I think you, you didn't catch my actual original question, which was when do we see a blue origin from the ground up? Are you going to write the blue origin book? Well, uh, they're a little bit too secretive for me. I say I'd have to, I'd have to hack them via the Amazon side, I think, to get any <laughs> right. decent information. Now that would be a challenge. I like right. a challenge, but, <laughs> uh, now I, I, to be honest, um, I think the real future is, is SpaceX uh, because they are just going for it. As Yoda says, "Do or don't do. Don't try. There is no try. Yeah. They, they are they are doing." And and Elon has a point. Um, if you don't really try for the line, go for it, then you'll fail. Uh, a good example was back in two thousand and eight. You know, the Great Recession. They they'd had. Uh, three three failures and if they hadn't have got that fourth uh launch as a success the company would have failed but because they were really driving for it and and they were getting pushing in those launches you know every every couple of months towards the end there that they managed to get across the line and then they could say to investors look we have a rocket that works give us some money 
and and they did and then they went to nasa and said look you want a bigger rocket we've got a working engine we can we've, we've got to orbit uh we'll build you a replacement for the space shuttle uh capability and they said fine you you've got a working rocket but if they hadn't have really pushed for it yeah got that final result in in the shortest time possible they'd have failed and and, and this is the problem uh what was what what was the uh, uh, the Microsoft guy who made a, a a plane that was going to do air launches and unfortunately he died before they actually got to the fact that they Are you talking about oh, oh 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 right 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 the um Strato, Strato launcher. launcher yes that's it. Paul yeah. Allen yeah who Paul, passed away Paul Allen yeah that, that, that's the guy I mean it just take it a normal place yeah. nine to five job you end up dying before you even see the the product come to the uh, to fruition no yeah. do or don't do you've yeah. got a yeah. you've got they they work every hour that god sends <laughs> well chris i don't want to take you more of your time uh the book is right. spacex from the ground up you've already gone through six editions you are you are rapidly iterating your book at the same pace that SpaceX is iterating their actual underlying technology, which is uh, which is great to see. You're you're well, stepping you up every day and and revising your your material to keep pace with their pace. Oh, there is one thing I'd like to say though. It seems quite uh, rosy in the future for space in the U.S. at least, because uh, Joe Biden is actually a secret. Uh, space fan he sort of brought, he was in his teens during the 60s so of course he was there 60s space race uh he has a uh a section of moon rock that in his, yeah i saw that uh, oval office so he's you know he it's there yeah the, that, he moved the he moon into NASA. the oval office office yeah, yeah. so uh, i mean i understand that was he said next to nothing about it during the election because the uh the the campaign managers say to him look don't mention space during the election because people want guns and butter basically they want to know <laughs> you know what they're going to be eating and how we're going to defend in and where's the money coming from but once you get there you, they'll they, they uh jen Psaki, uh said oh yes they're quite quite in favor of going to the moon and mars because he's a big fan of mars so i think things looking quite yeah bright yeah that's interesting artemis yeah all and, right uh, well uh, chris if people yep. want to follow your work where should they yes. go well, if you want to uh, read a little bit more, I mean, I've gone quite deep down the rabbit hole. Let's see the book again. Sorry? Let's see the book one more time. Oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. SpaceX uh, from the ground up. Yeah. Uh, it's not just the past. It's not just the present. It's also the future. There's a lot of this SpaceX stories in the future, and that is a little bit harder to uh, bring together. But uh, there, there is plenty of evidence out there, and... It, so it's just a question of knitting it all together. So yeah, it's out there. It's on Amazon. Uh, I recommend you. I recommend you buy it as an ebook because it's a bit expensive. Uh, the Amazon price for, for the for the printed oh, version. Yeah, yeah. I think the Kindle in Canada is like seven dollars or something. So it's, so it's oh, yeah, pretty yeah. reasonably priced. Uh, uh, you can actually get it for free, by the way. If I believe if you on Amazon Prime or one of their other oh, deals like right, right, Call right. or or Kindle Unlimited, uh, I, I noticed. There's like hundreds of pages being read all the time, every day. So this is obviously a deal they've set up and it seems to work. <laughs> it's getting the product out there. Yeah. People seem to yeah. like it. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Chris. It was a pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, you know, let's not let it be three years next time. Let's let's try and shorten the uh, 
the, yeah. the iteration cycle where we have a chat about what's happening with with SpaceX. You're my guy, so uh, okay. so definitely keep me posted. All right. Well, as I say, great to talk to you, and uh, it's, yep. everything's looking okay at the moment. This is just a bump in the road yep. <laughs> with Starship. Right. Okay. Thank you so much. Cheers. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Bye.